Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that is related to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be at this holy place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. Allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break the chains of all evil and sin that holds us captive. May in this service be cursed all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, ignorance, covetousness, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, O Lord, on the place of your rest, you in the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your redemption, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit. Allow us to discover your shining countenance. I lay this service in your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Субтитры 
And so before we continue to submerge into the inheritance of our of ours that has no limits, that is not able to be measured, this is the depths of God's wisdom, the unchanging epigraph of our study in Jesus Christ is Luke 24, 44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. For us as partakers of the body of Christ, to share with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about him in Scripture, we shall continue our study of our collaboration with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and what is necessary to be done from our side so that we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life and put on the new form of life. Practically, this is the purpose of every person that comes to God.
to dress your body into your new person so that you can adopt it in this way. The body that is not is not adopted until it is dressed into the new person. It is not yet redeemed. The price is paid for it, but it hasn't been done yet. In order to do it, you need to invest or turn to profit your nation, your house, your corrupt desires to receive your soul once again in a new quality. It no longer is ours, but is the Lord's. And in this way, we, being delivered from this sinful beginning, begin to renew our mind, and by the means of a renewed mind, we then dress ourselves into our new person, written in Ephesians 4.22 through 24, Colossians as well, and other places as well. Almost every place of scripture that I read, I see this purpose in there. It is concealed from many eyes, but I repeat that physically the entire new covenant is saturated with this purpose because God redeemed not just our soul and our spirit, but also our body that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts it's talking about the old man that is in the unseen realm this is not our body and not our not our fleshly body but what's living inside to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness while these two people live in one body then something happens there that can't be described they hate each other they confront each other they're attempting to destroy each other to remove each other from this body to be the only one in control and so Paul says, I am unfortunate. Who will deliver me from this body? The good I want to do, I don't do. The evil that I don't want to do, I do. All, all this lives in the body of a person, although the, temples, uh, the body is the temple of the Lord, for it is a price paid. And to fulfill this command, as we know, we need to use three charging and fundamental verbs, and these are to put off, be renewed, and put on. We've noted that your decision regarding these three destiny-affecting actions to put off, be renewed, and put on will determine whether you transform yourself into a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath, or more specifically, will the accomplishing of our salvation come to pass? That is given to us in the format of a guarantee, or will we lose it? and it will be blotted out of the book of life our name although it may have been written there at one time our name was written into the book of life and heaven when we received salvation but if we do not invest it or turn it to profit we will lose our salvation forever and our names will be bl blotted out of the book of life in a specific format we have already looked at the first two questions and have been studying the third question what conditions do we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we then begin the process of dressing ourselves into the power of our new person that is created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth? And when we speak of clothing ourselves into the power of our new person that contains the power of the resurrection of Christ, 
In the All Armor of Light, we've concluded that we need God's help in the form of His redeeming mercy, without which it is impossible not to put off our former way of life, not be renewed with the spirit of our mind, and not be dressed into the new person. The means of receiving any kind of help in the form of God's mercies is this me these means are the weaponry of prayer and worship, that is, worship in spirit and in truth. Not every prayer can be done in spirit and in truth. Only those people have become warriors in prayer or kings and priests of God. Only they are able to pray in such a way that their worship will be in spirit and in truth. Considering that prayer is not just a man's means of communicating with God, it is also a kind of legal and sacral right that a man gives heaven, a tool that activates the given law of God. Man gives heaven this right so that, man, that heaven may intervene upon the territory of earth in man. And so God said, let us make man in our image and likeness and may he rule upon the earth. And in, in saying these words, God pretty much created a law for himself that he is no longer able to do anything on earth without the permission of man. A person needs to give God the right because he makes him master on earth so that he can do something, fulfill God's will. It's just as you rent a house and you make an agreement with the owner of this house that until this time it belongs to you. Now the owner of the house has no right to enter. He needs to knock and you need to give him permission to enter the house and all those who live in this country know about this. It's the same with God. He created the earth and gave it, gave it to us as rent. And God said, just as we rule in the heavens, let man rule upon the earth. Only one in God's likeness, in his image and likeness, and, uh, by prayer that it is in accordance to God's will, can this person give God the right to fulfill his will upon planet earth. Not every prayer and not every person can be able to activate God's given law but only, as we have noted, the prayer of a king and a priest, a warrior in prayer. And here's one of the prayers of David written in the 143rd Psalm. It very, very clearly opens for us the conditions, the grounds, upon which a person is called to prepare a legal foundation for God so that God would intervene with his mercy into our life and also intervene into those territories that we carry responsibility for before him. This has been, been the subject of our study. I gladly always submerge into this prayer of David. It has become my prayer. It has become your prayer. And when we hear it, we again, every word, we remember it and we speak these words from ourselves. When I read it, I read it and pray it from all of us. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead, 
Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the works of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. According to the consistency of the given prayer, we've established that the reason for it was a specific category of enemies that confronted David and confront every child of God. This first is the personal flesh of David, personified sin and personified death. It's not just uh, some kind of separated sin as a program and death as a program, but it is within an individual, in a person. It attacks from another person. A program can't do anything out of a person. It is. It works through a person. When sin begins to attack a person, it attacks this person by another individual or your sinful nature either through lawless men or men of the flesh or your own personal soul God uh, the devil needs uh, some kind of body to work through and first he starts with our own personal nature death also as a program it can't do anything with us and work with us you need a programmable system through which it will attack us and this again is a sinful man also people of the flesh, lawless men as well, unclean men that literally fill churches today and there are more of them and sincere, true sheep. There's so few of them and they're persecuted and it's difficult for them to stand against their own nature as well as those that surround them as well. This is the small flock or the small group of God's flock. This, only the chosen will be saved. And all the called will march to hell. And that's how they, uh, many accompany those who die today with a musical orchestra thinking that they're sending them to heaven not understanding that they are actually sending them almost every person that was a believer all life and said that I believe I'm saved. But when God will begin to examine their faith there, what they believed in, it will appear that their faith was not in accordance to Scripture because only that faith saves that is in accordance to the words of Scripture and the spirit of Scripture. 
for David as well as for us to hear the mercy of God early, that is to hear in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we like David needed to present to God legal grounds or a particular right. And such evidence in this prayer as we know were ten unique in their nature arguments that David demonstrated before God. Here's how he prayed. Lord, I pray because of your faithfulness and your righteousness. Hear me, hear me, because I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. Hear me, because in my heart, these ancient deeds that you had done are there because I spread out my hands to you. Hear me, because I trust in you when some kind of attack happens or you're experiencing an attack something happens some kind of misfortunate or unfortunate situation or a misfortune in life I don't run to someone I trust in you hear me because I lift up my soul to you these are arguments that he presents to God hear me because in you I take shelter hear me for you are my God hear me for your namesake hear me for your righteousness sake and hear me for I am your servant and so in the previous services we had already studied the nature of the first argument that abided in David's heart this was evidence of the fact that faithfulness and righteousness abided in David's heart to serve as legal grounds for God giving God the ability to hear David and to stand on the side of David in his oppositions against the enemies that he had and stop to study the second argument this is the presented by David evidence that in his heart the memories of the days of old were imprinted and all the deeds that God had, God had done in those days according to the revelation of the Holy Spirit we began to study the form of this evidence in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest this item is unique unique and continual memorial before God, identifying with itself continual prayer. I will remind us that there were a lot of items that were a memory for God, where God was able to remember man, and God remembered Noah, and God remembered Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he led Israel out. 430 years they were in bondage, and he didn't remember. After 430 years, God remembered about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If God would not have remembered Noah, he would have perished along with all the animals. God remembered them when time came, but this unique item was a continual memory. It wasn't at a specific time that God remembered that I saw it and remembered. He, it is continually before his face. This breastplate of judgment is always before his face and continually on in his memory. And we know that a wall is a symbol of perfection. This is a symbol of perfection or a perfect person of God that is written upon his palms. Why? this walls of Jerusalem, to become a wall, it is necessary to die for your nation, for your house, and for your corrupt desires. And only afterwards, and only afterwards, go to perfection. Only come out and go to the Canaan land. Be dressed in the, into the power of the Holy Spirit and there grow. This is why God says, who is written upon my palms? People think that 
anyone is written upon his palms. He says, your walls, Jerusalem, are ever before me. I am a wall, the bride of the Lamb says, and my breasts like towers, and I will be in his eyes as one who has found peace. Uh, the towers, the ability in your heart to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and the ability for God to hear you. Often people are not confident if God heard their prayer or not. See what is happening amongst, amongst people today. Maybe not Baptists, Catholics, or Pentecosts, but about those who say they're most spiritual people who speak in tongues. Who is head for them? They call them vessels of God. They run after prophets to find out what the Lord will say. What does this say? This says that in their heart they don't have the Lord. If the Lord is in your heart, why are you running there? Stand up and pray to the Lord and say, Lord, respond to my heart. Give me uh, red, green, or yellow light. When you drive the road and you see the sign, you know what you need to do. If it's yellow, you're prepared uh, to slow down so that because you know the red light will come soon. It's the same thing inside. If you have this wall, he said, I, in Habakkuk, it's written, I stood upon the wall upon the rampart and to hear what he will say to me not every holy person has this if they did there would not have been people today existing called vessels uh, and these vessels mostly are false prophets pretty much a hundred percent there might be a very small percentage that are not but the most part of these people will never ever one who is inspired by the Holy Spirit will not correct prophecies are not given for correction or for scaring people or revealing of sins it is given to comfort prophecies are given for comfort and edification a prophet can correct but a prophesying person cannot the prophet can always prophesy one who prophesies is not always a prophet a prophet is one sent by God the face that God has placed by whom God can uh, man can hear God's voice so now let's <coughs> look at this argument this is an item of continual memory before God the breastplate of ju judgment was created and served only one item. This was the unification of the Urim and the Thummim within the heart of a man, the presence of which allowed God to hear man and allowed man to hear God. If this Urim and Thummim were only upon the breastplate of judgment but were not in the heart, God would not have heard that person. When Saul began to pray to God, God did not respond, not in through the by the Urim or the Thummim that, that was on him. Why? Because if it is not in your heart, God it will not do anything for you. But when David put on, this Urim and Thummim, God heard him because it was in his heart as well. The voice of God was not in the breastplate of judgment. The voice of God was in his heart. <clears throat> but in order to be heard, uh, 
or to be able to hear the voice of God, you needed to put on this Urim and Thummim. Therefore, to be heard by God in the revelations of his Urim, it was necessary to keep within your mind the works of God that had been done in the days of old, his Thummim. We know that the Urim is the Holy Spirit and Thummim is the symbolic elementary teachings of Christ. The breastplate of judgment as a continual memorial before God is a sacral symbol of the format of continual prayer, providing God grounds to fulfill His will upon planet Earth. Therefore, prayer that does not satisfy the requirements and characteristics of the breastplate of judgment does not have the right to be called the prayer of a priest. When you're not an intercessor, you can also pray. People of the flesh pray, and God periodically responds to them. But He responds to them not for their sake. You remember why God responded to Hagar? Because of Abraham. Because she was his servant and wife. Otherwise, He would not have responded to her. And He responds to spiritual infants he responds to them because of the pastor and the church in this category of the small flock God responds when they pray not always but at specific times and this happens very rarely because God wants them to listen to this, his spiritual people and grow to become spiritual so that God can have direct contact with them and so only the format of continual prayer presented in the breastplate of the high priest gives us the right to come close to God and enter into his holy place as a king and a priest to present intercession that pursues the interests of his will. In the Septuagint, this were the translation of the 70 rabbis the breastplate of judgment is called the sign of justice as by the means of the Urim and the Thummim that is contained in the breastplate of judgment God revealed to man his judgments symbolically the breastplate of judgment identifies the conscience of a man purified from dead works upon the tablets of whom just as a sign it in the twelve names of the patriarchs the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh is imprinted a conscience purified of dead works with the imprinted faithfulness and righteousness upon its tablets is called to give God the right to function in them and through them upon planet earth in a specific format we have already looked at the measurements in, in nature of materials with which the breastplate of judgment was built that we are called to be in accordance to within our spirit and stop to study the next requirement that says and you shall put settings of stone in it four rows of stones the first row shall be sardius topaz and emerald this was the first row second row turquoise sapphire and diamond third row jacinth agate and amethyst and fourth row beryl onyx and jasper they shall be set in gold settings and the sun, these stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engraving of a signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes, Exodus 20, 17 through 21. We have noted that the twelve golden settings is the authority, rule, and order of the word of God contained in the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh, that we as worshippers of God are called to present within the foundation of our continual prayer. The twelve precious stones with engraved upon them as a signet, names of the sons of Israel, is a symbol and format of our continual prayer, presenting the perfect judgments of God.
From this we can see that it wasn't the golden settings being the truth of the word of God that were adjusted in measurement and configuration to fit the precious stones, but the precious stones themselves being our prayers are the ones that were adjusted and configured to fit the golden settings of truth. You know, when any kind of decoration is made or any kind of jewelry, when the setting is created uh, the, the setting in which, to which this uh, precious stone will, will be set, then they uh, begin to and configure and form the precious stone to fit that setting. Sometimes it takes a couple of months, like, like even a diamond, uh, to be able to uh, prepare it to fit the setting so perfectly as they want it. And so when prayer is in accordance to the will of God, it's as this precious stone that is already perfectly configured and fits this golden setting. It's not just a setting, it in measurement is very perfectly fitted to as for the truth. Continual prayer in the 12 precious stones you can pray in tongues and you can fast, but if you will not have other elements and qualities, then it will not be heard by God at all. It's not because you're praying in tongues or mind. People think that if they pray in tongues, it's written, pray in tongues, because we don't know what to pray about, but the Spirit knows. But they don't understand that when they pray in tongues, then it's not the Holy Spirit praying, but their spirit that's praying. In order for the Holy Spirit to pray with you, it is necessary for the Holy Spirit to be your master. But for people, he's not their master but their visitor and so they invite him to their service as a guest every time Lord come to this service I periodically uh, asked these pastors who invited me brother what do we do we're leaving uh, I said well I asked them what you invited the Holy Spirit but he, and, and they're leaving the church, and I asked them, so what are you going to do, the Holy Spirit? You've invited him here. And he and they tell him, don't, don't speak foolish things. But I asked them, how are you behaving here? You invite him and then just leave, in, leave him here and leave the church? If you invite him, then offer him some, something. Because you invited him temporarily. Because inviting someone temporarily as as a guest and he's not going to be here permanently when we come to our service we don't invite him as a guest because he already is here present and he's in us we ask him that he show his mercy and give us his word and teach us and reveal himself to us and he remains with us until the very end of the age he is not a guest we need to teach the holy people that they not offend the Holy Spirit, calling him a guest. He is a guest for Laban, for Bethuel, he is a guest, but he wasn't a guest for Rebekah. 
For her, he was a master. <coughs> he is the one that will lead her to her groom. And she will leave her nation, her house, and will go after him. He is not a guest for her. And when the children of God are taught that the Holy Spirit is a guest, he is offended. Why? Because he doesn't want to be a guest. He doesn't want to be a guest. He yearnly desires to live and abide. A guest doesn't abide eternally in a house. He is a guest. He wants to be a master. He wants to live. He paid a price so that you be his house. If you say you're the house of God, then why is the Holy Spirit still a guest among you? And so this prayer can only be prayed by men who, for whom the Holy Spirit is not just a guest but a master. They have given power to him and told him to lead them. They always ask him, you know, I always, I'm always surprised at the uh, simplicity of people's minds when they do something, not asking the Lord about it. Jesus absolutely understood the scriptures, knew the scriptures, and was able to speak. You know what he often said? I have much to say about you, but I only say what I hear from my father. He had his own opinions, and their, his opinions were correct, but he never said them until the Lord said to say them, and only in the parts, in the amounts that he, the, whole, the Lord told him to, and no more than that, and he was obedient. And so a person comes and we immediately begin judging. Oftentimes you need to listen to what the Lord is saying. Or someone coming to try to trying to find out where your hope lies, each, each one who you only need to answer, you need to remember that you only need to answer to one who is placed as leader by God and only to that person and nobody else. You're not required to. I remember there was a man who had come as a guest here and he came with a group and came to me and said brother Arkady I want to speak with you about a couple of places of scripture that I don't understand I felt this slyness of his and his trickery and I responded to him by what the Holy Spirit revealed to me. I told him we are on different scales, you and I. What is not clear to you? I can't communicate with you, I said, because... For you, there's something that you don't understand, but there are many things that I still don't understand, I told them. And they looked at me and said, oh, how sly are you, he said to me. And I, and I said, this is not slyness, this is wisdom. And so Apostle Paul says, I, I saw 
the end of all perfection, but your wisdom is great. And so whatever the Lord reveals, I know this is only part of something. If the Lord reveals anything when it comes to the truth, He only reveals it in parts, and I know there's still much more that I don't know. And so when He reveals something, I know this is not the end. The, the end of it. And truly, when I began to study further and meditate further, I see more and more every day. Every hour, I see more and deeper and deeper. I see it wider. It, it has more weight. It has more power. It has more beauty. It has more greatness. And I just become fascinated. But someone will tell you, I don't understand something. There's much more. And so the building of the breastplate of judgment within our heart is revealed as building the kingdom of heaven in the form of the tree of life. Growing the tree of life within our heart is building ourselves up into a new person, created in accordance to God in righteousness and holy truth, into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. With, with this, we note that all the beauty and order of the temple was created for one holy item and served that one item. Item. This was the golden ark of the covenant. The same thing with the ephod of the high priest, with the connected to it, breastplate of judgment. It was created for and served only one holy item. This item very accurately was called to duplicate and fulfill the function of the golden ark. This was the urim and the thummim, because the golden ark of the covenant, as well as the breastplate of judgment, symbolized from different angles and with various purposes the conscience of a man cleansed from dead works. Urim and thummim in Hebrew means light and perfection light and the right, and revelation and truth. The Ten Commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant is the truth symbolizing Christ. And this truth in the breastplate of judgment is the thummim symbolizing the teaching of Christ. The light revelation that a person could receive at the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, also known as the mercy seat, is the urim and the breastplate of judgment. Therefore, a worshiper of God is a person who has a wise heart, upon the tablets of whom the truth in the form of the Thummim is imprinted, within the boundaries of which the Urim in the form of the Holy Spirit could reveal the mysteries of the Thummim. Exodus 31.6, I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. And so the Holy Spirit is placed into the heart of a wise man. The Urim is the Holy Spirit, and so when a person speaks in tongues, being baptized by the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit has become his leader and that he is in dependence of the Holy Spirit now. He, has, he doesn't understand understand anything yet he can't be led by the Holy Spirit and so he received baptism of the Holy Spirit but how will he actually accomplish this uh, this this baptism it's a it's a, an investment it's a guarantee given if you don't know baptism or how to utilize it and what it's given for what the purpose of it is, of it is then nothing will work for you because many young people receive baptism just to get married the time comes in the church they give a law that you can't get married you're not a member of the church and only members of the church the church you can only become one 
when you are baptized by water. I've always asked this question when they would instruct the brothers. So that means if you're not a member of the church, that means you're not a child of God. How do we understand this then? How do you understand this? If they're not a member of the church, then they're not a child of God. If he's not baptized, right? What do we do with babies then? Or children who are not yet circumcised? And so for eight days, if you know that in the eighth day after a baby is born, he, he was to be circumcised. So if this child was with you for eight days, is he not your son for eight days? The eighth day is the day of the covenant. Jesus told his disciples, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them, but they're not teaching them. How can they teach them when they themselves are not taught? We note that the friendship of the Thummim and Urim in the heart of a person is a unification of two formats of wisdom which states that the carriers of the Thummim and Urim are true worshippers of God and possess the immune system of the Holy Spirit. In a specific format, we have already looked at five qualities of a warrior in prayer and the five first precious stones of the breastplate of judgment by which God was able to continuously reveal His will upon planet Earth and stop to study the sixth quality and the precious diamond stone. We know that the sixth name carved upon the precious stone, the, the precious diamond stone, upon the breastplate of judgment was the name of the sixth son of Jacob, Naphtali, which means wrestler or one who prevails in prayer. Genesis 37, 8, and Rachel's maid Bela conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. The name of God presented in the precious diamond stone, according to the Jewish rabbinate, is El Hai in Hebrew, which when translated means God is alive. Every precious stone demonstrated a name of God. And so according to the definition of the name Naphtali upon the precious diamond stone, we conclude that the function of the sixth principle as a format of continual prayer is our right and our ability to allow the Holy Spirit to abide with us in our prayer battles against the powers of hell, which confront us when we fulfill the will of God by the name of the living God. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath, the truth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. Jeremiah 10.10 The name of the living God is a format of an oath and the category of the nation that had not learned to swear by the name of the living God or swore false falsely were utterly destroyed. Jeremiah 12, 16, 17, And it shall be, if they will learn carefully the ways of my people, to serve by my name, as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people. But if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Lord. So to not be plucked up and destroyed by the wrath of the living God, it is necessary to learn the ways of the nation of God, to swear by the name of God El Hai or the living God. These ways are the ways of the commandments and statutes of God, the conditions that provide us the right to learn the ways of the commandments and statutes to, so we can swear by the name of the living God is the thirst to hunt or hunger to know them. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart when my heart begins to bear fruit 
Then I will be able to run the course of your commandments. Teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Psalm 119.32-35 In Hebrew, the, na- the, the word alive or living when it comes to God is abiding, one who is with unconditional authority, one who defines a genesis, creates the genesis, holds the genesis, keeps the genesis, ruling over the genesis, and commander and lord of the genesis. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oath in his name. Deuteronomy 10, 20-21 While a person does not have the fear of the Lord, while he has idols and he serves other gods and while he has not cling to the Lord, he cannot take oath in his name. We know that idols can be gifts of the Holy Spirit, anointing, blessing. This could be a husband, a wife, children. When children become an idol, this is terrible. You will lose yourself and your children if they will become your idols. And you believe him 100%. Because I believe my child, he will never tell me, the, not never uh, deceive me or lie to me but it is you that he will deceive. He more likely will tell the truth to their best friend. But finally get it that your child does not always tell the truth. He'll look into your eyes and say, no, I haven't said that. No, I didn't do this. But they actually didn't say this. You need to be very careful not to damn your children. They are not typical, obviously. Everyone is precious. But if you've deceived, then they also will deceive. But you need to teach them to tell the truth and not punish them when you see this revealed. One young person called me today from another country. What do I do? My son lies to me. And when this is revealed, he says, Father, forgive me. Do I need to punish him? No, I told him not to. But if he has admitted his guilt and repented and asked for an apology, then you need to actually reward him for this. Or sometimes people come to me and say, Pastor, I don't know what I did. I had no need to lie, but I lied anyway. We are of the dough, this kind of made of this dough. We, by nature, the new person is one thing, but we are still dependent from the old that you suddenly did something or said something because for the old person it is food for him to lie and to make things different than they are. The power of a warrior in prayer contained within the virtue of the name of the living God is called to present the unlimited power of God over the Genesis in the allotted by him for us time and boundaries. Therefore, it is necessary for us, for us to look at and determine what goal God has in his intentions when he urges and calls his children to become warriors in prayer. Also, in what way and upon what conditions is God able and desires to give man the right 
right to become a warrior in prayer so that man may present the interests of God and implement his inheritance in God. According to the revelations written in scripture, our prayer and the quality of a warrior in prayer, identified by the virtue of the brilliant diamond stone, needs to be continual, persistent, diligent, with boldness, with reverence, with faith of your heart, with thanksgiving, with joy in the fear of the Lord, in the Holy Spirit, or praying in tongues. In the previous services, we, in a specific format, have already looked at the seven components of continual prayer and stopped to study the eighth component. This is the fruit of joy. We've noted that the fruit of joy in the heart identifies the state of the heart and the quality of the prayer of a warrior in prayer. As it is written, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones, Proverbs 17:22. Therefore, one of the signs by which we need to determine the presence of joy that comes from above will be a merry heart that will serve as a medicinal substance, healing and restoring and repairing his faith and his trust in God. And so when it says a merry, this is not emotions. This is love for righteousness and hatred for lawlessness. That's what a merry heart is. This is not emotions. This is a state that you're in. A broken spirit is a symbol of a hard heart that is directed by the pride of his unrenewed mind, where there is an absence of an atmosphere of upright joy, one depriving God of grounds or a foundation to do good and heal this person. Here it's talking about the fact that the merry heart does good like medicine. <clears throat> it heals the faith of a person so that through his faith, he can then accomplish any promise. Apostle Jude, concluding his short book to the Church of Christ, gave the quality of joy its own elevation and rank as an integral part of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Jude one twenty four. Fault or blemish in joy is an absence of a foundation keeping us from stumbling into perdition to present us before his glory. If we will not have a foundation, God will not be able to keep us from stumbling. The glory of God abides exclusively in the atmosphere of upright joy and as an expression of this upright joy. This is the glory of God. Blemish or sin and joy is a stain or flaw revealing impurity, abomination, and deceit. A person who has not rid himself of such blemishes and joy, as well as in all his other characteristics, will not be allowed in heaven or the great Jerusalem. But there shall by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, Revelations 21:27. Determining the wellspring of unearthly joy and the existing in this joy natural qualities, we conclude that upright joy in prayer can only come from an upright heart of a man. The heart expresses this upright joy. Our words and our actions manifest this state of upright joy. Upright joy will come not only from an upright heart, it will also be in our words and actions and, and our clothing as well. If a person nakeds himself and considers this normal, then this testifies of the fact that he does not have joy, and if he doesn't have this, he doesn't have salvation. My wife uh, once uh, pulled, uh, helped uh, one of a woman 
kind of pull down her shirt from the side. She was already almost naked. And this woman actually got upset about it. Since when is it normal to naked your body in the church? Where is this? Where's, what are you doing in the church? You need to understand that the words, actions, and clothing are very tightly knit together. By your clothing, you can say a lot about this person, how a person dresses. It speaks of what's inside of them. We need to understand that if within our heart we will abide within the atmosphere of upright joy, then our prayer will, will express this upright joy. We need to differentiate earthly joy from joy that is supernatural. The supernatural joy has its distinctive roots in God, its distinctive wellspring in God, and its distinctive genesis in God. By themselves, the two natures of joy are two programs that come from different nature springs. God and the fallen cherubim. The heart of a man is a programmable system and that nature of joy to which man gives his consideration and preference dresses him and rules in his essence. And if we consider or prefer earthly joy, then it from one side will be the means we measure our relationship with God and from the other side will be suppressing and oppressing supernatural joy. If we will consider the joy that comes from above, then it also will be the means by which we measure our relationship with God. Due to its supernaturalism, unearthly joy is not able to be experienced or felt upon the level of our physical abilities. As unlike worldly joy, it isn't a kind of emotion or a kind of feeling that lifts your mood. Supernatural joy is a kind of discipline of the mind and heart which creates peace in the heart of a man, as well as balances, controls, and leads our feelings. And so when a person attempts, when he understands joy and receives it, when a person receives joy as a discipline of his mind and heart and attempts to lead the feelings, the feelings will not be happy. You will not experience joy at the moment. What will undisciplined, unrestrained uh, stallion or, or mustang uh, do? How will he behave? He will become angry. Only a restrained, a disciplined horse will be able to follow and obey the directions, the directions of its rider or its master. Therefore, upright joy as a component of prayer is the confessions of the faith of the heart, confessing who God is to us in Christ Jesus and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Oftentimes we proclaim this at the time of great difficulty and disappointment in tear, but we are expressing joy when we speak of who God is for us and what he has done for us, but our feelings aren't panicking. Lord, the husband, my husband's left me. They, left, they fired me from work. And suddenly the Holy Spirit says quietly, this is just here. Begin to proclaim who the Lord is to you, for you, and who you are for him, and what he has done for you, and what you need to do so that everything he's done for you can become yours. This kind of confession of the faith of the heart in power 
is equal to the power of the words that come out of that mouth of God. Turning our attention to the unique wisdom of Scripture and a defining unearthly joy, we've decided to look at the virtues of upright joy only within the heart of a man born from the imperishable seed of the word of truth abiding within Christ. The example and criteria identifying the quality and nature of upright joy is God himself. Therefore, this upright joy is not only the quality of God and the atmosphere in which God abides, it is also one of his glorious names with which he triumphs over his enemies. Psalm 43, 4, 5. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 43, 4, 5. At the, in the time when the soul is suffering go to God the God of my exceeding joy and gladness our God is the God of joy he has already conquered what the devil says is destroyed don't pay attention God has already won the battle is already won and in Christ you already won don't panic you already won the war in Jesus Christ you begin to glorify him and begin to proclaim who you are in God this will allow the Holy Spirit to lift you out of this situation and to determine the essence of supernatural joy as well as the conditions that we need to fulfill to grow and demonstrate its virtue. In our prayer, we have been looking at four aspects, defining the essence and purpose of the fruit of joy, the price of obtaining and expressing the fruit of joy, keeping and developing the fruit of joy, the fruits and rewards for demonstrating upright joy in prayer. We, in a specific format, have already looked at the first three questions, therefore have been studying the fourth question. The first sign by which we need to examine ourselves as to whether we have upright joy and prayer within our heart is possible by the presence of hope and the enrichment of hope within our heart. We already looked at these three, and I'm just reminding us of them. Second sign by which we need to examine ourselves as to whether we are abiding within upright joy and prayer is to be freed from the dependence of Babylon by the power of redemption given to us by God. Third sign by which we need to examine ourselves as to whether we are abiding within the upright joy and prayer is our behavior towards the celebration of Pesach, its requirements implemented by God. Fourth sign by which we need to examine ourselves as to whether we have upright joy and prayer is joy and gladness of heart when serving the Lord while consciously and willingly leading your feelings using a brittle. Deuteronomy 28, 47-48 Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of everything and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. So we need to ask the question, who do we serve, God or our enemy? With this we will keep in mind that these words are to be considered exclusively in in a symbolic manner, otherwise they will not have any relevance to us. In Scripture, 
All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipping for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Again, we need to look at all these in the symbolic form. And before we examine ourselves to determine who we serve, God or our enemies, I will remind us that the investigated bias, joy, and gladness of heart is the anointed power of discipline of the mind and will called to lead the aspect of our emotions as the Lord's horse of battle directed by a brittle. First to the to the peace that is in Christ Jesus, and second, to trample upon the enemies of the Lord in war as the dirt in the streets. Isaiah 63, 12-14, who led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the water before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the deep as a horse in the wilderness. He led him by the right hand. He led him as a horse in the wilderness, that they might not stumble as beasts go down into the valley, and the Spirit of the Lord causes him to rest. So you led your people to make yourself glory, a glorious name. Our emotions will be a disciplined horse. <clears throat> a person himself places himself in dependence of the Holy Spirit, all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. The symbol of a horse is associated with the emotional aspect of a man, and if the aspect of our emotions is controlled by the renewed mind of man, then our emotional aspect becomes the glorious horse of the Lord. For the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make him as his royal horse in the battle. From him comes, from the, co comes the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler together. They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the street in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and the rider on horses shall be put to shame. Zechariah 10, 3 through 5. If the aspect of our emotions are not restrained or disciplined by the renewed mind, by the means of our gentle mouth, then the aspect of our emotions is in the form of a horse which has no understanding. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and brittle, else they will not come near you. Psalm 32, 9. The Lord's horse is a symbol of war. The person who controls such a horse is called a warrior in prayer. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the deliverance is of the Lord. Proverbs 21:31. Until a child of God renews his mind by the spirit of his mind, which is the mind of Christ in his spirit, the aspect of his emotions, symbolizing his horse, will be called a horse of man. But as soon as the aspect of the emotions of a child of God and the symbol of his horse will be disciplined by the means of his renewed mind and gentleness of tongue, the aspect of his emotions will be called a horse of the Lord. The aspect of emotions is tightly knit with the mouth and will of man, that independence of the state of the mind will be controlled by the renewed mind of man. At the same time, a mind that is not renewed is controlled by the aspect of emotions, which forcibly impose obedience or enslave our will and our mouth. This unfortunate sight or spectacle can be seen when a man who's never ridden a horse suddenly decides to break or discipline a wild mustang. 
that very easily tosses this unfortunate rider off its back and runs in a only known to this horse direction. Therefore, one of the reasons why man did not serve God with joy and gladness of heart, having an abundance of everything, however, served his enemies in hunger, thirst, and nakedness, need and need of everything consists in this person not casting off the old man with his deeds to then renew his mind with the spirit of his mind. <clears throat> so the Lord has given him an abundance of all things, but he's not uh, joyful because he doesn't see this as an abundance. He wants something more different. And so he does not rejoice. And so the Lord then takes from him and he begins to serve his enemies. So to serve the Lord in joy and gladness of heart, having an abundance of everything and not serve your enemies in hunger, thirst, nakedness and need of everything, it is necessary to identify abundance of everything and the enemy. Understandably, at the time, at that time, an abundance of everything were physical materialistic valuables. Physical enemies were foreigners that lived amongst Israel, as well as out of the boundaries of Israel. I trust that you've already guessed it, materialistic abundance symbolizes wealth pertaining to imperishable inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation because receiving within your possession within their possession the inheritance wealth that is imperishable they become delighted because of it and utilize this wealth utilizing this wealth begin to serve the Lord with joy and gladness of heart but as you abound in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge in all diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in his grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you though you through his poverty might become rich. Second Corinthians 8, 7-9. <clears throat> And so first, enemies as the foreigners are, are our nation, our house, and our corrupt desires. Second, these are unclean and lawless people that previously had faith and a good conscience, then rejected these virtues, and doing so suffered shipwreck in their faith. Third, these are demonic teachings, mixing the things of God with the things of man, the carriers of which are unclean and lawless people, as well as blind guides supporting them. Understandably, these enemies do not possess the imperishable wealth of hope and faith. They replace them with materialistic success. Therefore, ending up dependent on such enemies, we become required to serve them in hunger, thirst, nakedness, and need of everything, and to once again obtain abundance of imperishable wealth and begin to serve God with joy and gladness of heart. The scriptures recommend, I counsel you buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with thy salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears me and my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes will grant to sit with me on my throne. 
And so to purchase all this, you need to enter the battle and restrain your horse, discipline your horse, and part with your previous desires, separate from them. I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3, 18 through 22. We know that gold refined in fire is the word of God, that we hear by God's delegated persons, cleansed from the chaff of man. When the mind reads, when a person reads the word, there's chaff of the flesh. He's always mixing something of his own. Recently they showed me and by telephone this uh, one in Russia there was a an artist there was a tree of life and where the four teachings she put winter summer spring and fall and so the four teachings are an eternal thing you can't put them within four seasons or within time <clears throat> and so pretty much when a person reads the truth they're trying to mix their own understandings into what it says instead of uh, actually knowing the true meaning and of what is written don't uh, mix things of your mind into these things and so gold that is refined by fire is when a person cleanses it from his own thoughts and accepts only what he hears and does not add or take away from it I counsel that you buy and that it, we need to pay a price not to mix with our mind uh, from our mind things white garments is justification and many who are not confident in their in their justification if you're justified then live as one who is justified your actions your mouth and your clothing need to show justification why well, don't I see this from you don't see I don't see that you're justified people absolutely don't understand those things to be dressed and not to see your nakedness a person uh, falsely says that he's justified you're not justified if you're justified then you'll perform uh, just works and you will have selective love you won't say God loves everyone God has never loved everyone he loves only his own so do you love the neighbor or your children when there's hunger are you going to feed your children or the neighbors you're not going to die for your neighbor's children but you'll die for your own God has a selective love Christ loved his church and gave himself for her he didn't give it for the world Apostle John writes that don't love the world or anything in the world and what because all that's in the world is the lust of the eyes and the pride of life John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that anyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life one who believes in him and not everyone so the translators translated it not exactly correct they did actually leave the part where it says who only the one who believes in him but it's not that God just loved the whole world but those in the world that are his one Pentecostal church a leader told 
told me God is love. God loves the devil, all the angels that had fallen. He created them. God did not create the devil. I said he created himself this way. <clears throat> he created a great cherubim, but he didn't create the devil. If God saves the devil and all the sinners in hell, then he is not the God of love and he is not all-powerful. That's what he said. <clears throat> if these kind of Pentecostal leaders standing and pastoring enormous churches, where do you think these people are going and those who follow after them, where are they going? <clears throat> but they are confident that, uh, that God uh, loves everyone. God loved those who believe in him in the world who has repent who repented and gave a son for those people that anyone who believes in him would not perish we need to understand what the word of God is and I salve so you may see I salve is <clears throat> when you <clears throat> refuse your own opinion and your thoughts and receive God's words from the person that God has sent. This is the I salve, and you begin to see. Further, he says, the one whom I love, I chasten, because to the blind, it is useless to, to chasten him and to rebuke him if he's blind. To chasten, that means I'm going to show light. This is mercy. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. This is not talking about the world, this is talking about his own. The exhaustive identification of our enemies and the reason why they became so are the words of Christ, which he spoke on one of the Sabbaths, being invited by one of the leaders of the Pharisees to, to eat bread, where all who were invited together with the head of the household were watching after his every word, trying to find something to catch him on. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, and his own life, also he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace so likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple salt is good but if the salt has lost its flavor how shall it be seasoned it is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill but men throw it out he who has an ear let him hear Luke 14, 26-35 The cost necessary for the completion of the tower upon the appropriate foundation, who is Jesus Christ in us, is following Christ and carrying your cross. And to follow Christ while carrying your cross, it is necessary to hate your nation, your house, and your corrupt desires. And to be and die in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for these. Because the cross, what is the cross? 
the definition of it shortly. What is the cross for Jesus? This is the commandment of the Father. The cross is the commandment of the Father, having the power to, to give his life and take it. This was the will of the Father that he needed to fulfill and purchase those that were condemned to slavery. For us, when carrying our own cross, so the cross is our personal calling, our, this is our purpose, this is the will of the Father for us. We can fulfill it when we leave our, na our house, our nation, and our corrupt desires. Only after that can we carry our cross, fulfill the commandment, fulfill our purpose that what we are called to. The scriptures call it a cross. Why? Because the cross of Christ and our cross will separate us from our desires continually to fulfill not our desires, but the will of God. The cross is death for all earthly desires. And upon it is the will of God fulfilled upon this cross. This is the holiness of God shown in the cross. And to be in the likeness of the king with the 10,000 going to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 who sent delegation to ask this king for conditions of peace, it is necessary to honor God by bringing your tithes and giving them into the hands of the high priest, Christ, that became so not by the order of Aaron but the order of Melchizedek. Honoring God by bringing your tithes and your offerings into the hand of the High Priest Christ with joy and gladness of heart, we will receive the privilege to join the cavalry of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to then together with Him tread in the winepress, the wine of fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one know, knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. We know that white and clean linen are people dressed are, are people that live on earth that were dressed in this clothing angels did not do not dress in this uh, fine and uh, this fine linen clothing, white and clean. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he will strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. Revelation 19:11 through 16. And so those who follow after Jesus are kings. He's a king of kings. Summing up the given sign, we conclude that to identify the presence of upright joy within ourselves, it is necessary to identify who we serve, God or our enemy. And to identify who we serve, God or our enemy, it is necessary to identify for ourselves, does imperishable wealth stand above perishable wealth? And if we, we willingly, with joy and gladness, will be able to honor God with our tithes and offerings, then we will always have an abundance of all in our house that is imperishable wealth. 
Our time is up. Let us bend our knees and pray and let the Lord bless us in this prayer so that we would be able to receive specific truth that we were able to hear today and trust in them. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we worship before you and we thank you for the unique ability to hear your words. Your truth, this is the great imperishable wealth. Allow your nation to rejoice because of this wealth and this abundance to not end up serving our enemy in hunger and thirst and need of everything. Deliver your nation if anyone's ended up in this hunger, thirst, and need and is not able to be satisfied with the bread of life. Allow them through repentance and understanding that they not consider materialistic prosperity their hope. Let them reevaluate their themselves and come out of that position serving their enemy. Allow them to serve you with gladness and joy of heart because you are the God of joy and gladness because the word that you give it is eternal. It will be great the great and glorious inheritance and what we he have here on earth will be burned and nothing will be left of it. But your word will transform into promises that will dress us and we are hungry in our hearts and wait for when you dress our mortal bodies into our new person to show the greatness of your glory, the greatness of your grace. We believe in this, that the time has come, because you have revealed this truth in this beauty, in such greatness, in such depth and width, that it has shaken us up to, to our foundation. We rejoice before your face, a joy that is unexplainable, and we thank you for the kingdom of heaven inside of ourselves. We thank you that the new person is being grown, grown by you, and quickly you will accomplish this great work that will shake all of the foundations of hell that will do and perform great joy in heaven and those on earth the kings of the world will see something they've never seen and has never been spoken of because those holy people whom you will dress into their new person will be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit and will receive great wisdom and power and the dignity of a king. And not a single virus or illness will be able to touch them because they will die upon contact. Viruses will depart and, vi and sickness will depart and anyone wanting to do evil will be destroyed, will be killed. People that are be dressed into their new person will never die. They will be raptured and will meet the Lord upon the clouds. This is the testimony and the sign that Enoch received in his time. 
You dressed his mortal body into the new person and gave him the sign in his heart, the testimony that he pleased you and he confessed and relied upon you. And when the time came, you dressed him. We thank you and we wait for that time. And may your glory show itself in the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ by whom you build this new person, you grow this new person, this new person and every individual person who hears this, may it bear its fruit in your kingdom. May you rejoice with a joy that is great because you have finally come to this time, thousands of years, growing your chosen remnant your flock we worship before you our great god we bend our knees and in spirit we bow down before you in gladness before your promises may the lord come and may your glory be upon your sons and daughters we worship before your great god son and holy spirit amen our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power now and forever. Amen.